Santiago Amigos, and welcome back. This is episode 13 of The Old Man and the CV. Today, we have another extended episode because we're talking about something very important that either affects us directly or indirectly, not just at work, but also in our personal lives too. We are talking about neurodiversity. And when I say we're talking about it, we are barely scratching the surface. We're delighted to be joined by Joe Bristow for this episode. Joe is a facilitator and coach at Connor Consultancy and is passionate about neurodiversity. Now, I was really intrigued by a recent article that Joe posted on LinkedIn and realised that I just had to have her on the old man and the CV. So, Joe, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's lovely to have you on. Now, you had a wide, varied career. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about what you've worked on during your career, some key highlights? Yeah, sure. So I started off my career actually in sales, marketing and new product development for a pharmaceutical and toiletry manufacturer. So quite different to what I'm doing now. Um, I was a people manager leading individuals and teams. Um, and whilst I was on the senior leadership team there, I was lucky enough to go on a leadership development program Um, and work with an executive coach and that really reinforced my love for developing people and helping them to reach their potential. So I made the decision to change careers and I trained as an HR professional and as a coach and I've been working in this space now for six years and now I work with people across a really wide variety of different industries and sectors on both a one-to-one basis and facilitating group workshops on a variety of different topics. A lot around things like building resilience how you can develop as a leader and a manager, how you can communicate more effectively. And over the last few years, I've been on a bit of a personal journey with both my children being diagnosed with a variety of neurodiverse conditions. And as part of that, I've had to learn how to parent completely differently um, and create an environment for them to thrive in. And that's really led to an increased interest in neurodiversity and in driving the DEIB agenda in the workplace, because My kids are going to have to go out and get jobs at some point and the workplace is um, not always as accommodating of those with neurodiverse conditions. So really passionate about creating a more um, inclusive workplace for them. So neurodiversity was the main content of the article that really fired my imagination. And it's something that has come much more to the public for over the last few years. And I think it's about 15% of the UK population are diagnosed as neurodivergent. Um, So can you just clarify to our listeners what neurodiversity is and how it manifests itself in everyday life? Yeah, it's really interesting, that statistic, actually, because for me, it feels really low. Um, it's probably a statistic of how many people have been actually formally diagnosed as neurodivergent. But I reckon in reality, um, it's much higher than that. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of people who are um, undiagnosed. So neurodiversity um, represents the different ways, essentially, in which people do anything from thinking, moving, behaving to how they visualize, how they communicate and how they process information. And there are lots of different neurodiverse conditions. Most sort of commonly known are things like autism, ADHD, 
dyspraxia, dyslexia, Tourette's, to name a few. And they all manifest a bit differently, actually. But there are a lot of common traits across the different neurodiverse um, conditions. But what I learned really quickly is that everybody presents quite differently um, or slightly differently from each other. And both my children, for example, have got ADHD, but they have different strengths and they find different things challenging, even though they have the same sort of diagnosed condition. But I wanted to call out a couple of things that I noticed that they experienced that have a big impact and um, many neurodivergent people um, have uh, similar challenges. So the first is difficulty with something called executive functioning. So executive functioning is the ability to organise themselves and to get started on tasks or to switch from one task to another. Um, and executive functioning is a, a thing that develops during childhood and adolescence, and it affects lots of different aspects of life, such as socialization, how you learn, how you make decisions, how you emotionally regulate and work performance. So it has quite a big impact. Um, the second thing is increased anxiety levels. So there's extensive evidence of greater rates of depression and anxiety co-occurring with um, these conditions like autism, dyspraxia and ADHD. Um, so, for example, in children, nearly three in 10 um, diagnosed with H ADHD also have an anxiety disorder. So those are the kind of two things that um, or two of the things that I thought were were most relevant to mention. And men and women react in different ways to whatever the neurodivergent condition is as well and I, I read something really interesting recently about ADHD which was almost traditionally seen as a as a boy's illness whereas girls didn't have it but that's because they were better at masking yes. and wanting to assimilate into that social group or whatever else what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah that's really true and often um, for women there's a lot of women in adulthood who are who find that they have a neurodiverse condition and, and they they haven't realized because they've been so adept at masking but the challenge with so masking is really where you sort of emulate what other people are doing their social norms and you sort of um squash down I guess some of those things that are going on inside and, and present a external um a different sort of well, mask, essentially. Um, so how people are, are, are receiving you. Um, but what that does is it takes an awful lot of energy to keep that up all day long. And often people who are working in an environment or at school in an environment where they need to mask a lot or they feel like they need to mask a lot and they can't let their true self out, um, they, yeah, it, it takes a lot of energy and they're absolutely exhausted at the end of the day. On the surface, then masking could be seen as a as a negative thing because it's 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 hiding a a, a, a diagnosis which is waiting to happen. Yeah, but masking surely is actually a characteristic of empathy because to actually mask, you've got to be empathetic to understand another. But that's a great skill to have because it's it's a skill that is almost lacking in society this this listening and this empathetic skill so how how can you turn that around so it's it's a positive thing because I, I guess where I'm coming from is there are lots of skills which are on uh, a scale which are higher than average and I know there's the 
can't remember what it's called. I've got to look it up. The spiky profiles, where there's this kind of flat line on average, but in neurodiverse, they flicker. There's certain strengths. So, for example, someone who's neurodiverse uh, could be very creative, very tangential thinker, thinking outside the box, great skills to have. So how can people who work with someone who's neurodiverse recognise and harness those skills? So I think that it's really about understanding the individual um, and exploring a bit about what you are seeing and how you're experiencing someone is whether that's their natural tendency or whether they're they're kind of I don't like to say putting it on because it's not putting it on but do sort of um emulating a different way to what their natural natural characteristic is um but it's really about you know finding out from people what they need to be able to use that strength to their best ability um, and to, and so for the organisation or the team or the person to get the most out of it. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because I, I know that when we have spoken before, um, I made a, it wasn't meant to be, but came across a somewhat glib comment that everyone almost says, well, I'm on the spectrum to a degree, but that's not true, is it? Because you've, you've got to be diagnosed with one or two or three uh, particular traits to be diagnosed as neurodivergent. So how can how can we get over that diminishing of neurodivergency? I go, yeah, well, everyone's like neurodivergent to some degree. It's not that important. And it's especially so I'm trying to tie it back to the last question about how you can recognize it amongst your colleagues, you know, whether teammates or managers, and then harness that skill and really play to the strengths rather than dismissing it I think it's a bit it there's something about um helping people to understand that difference is okay so as human beings we like people who are like us and what you often find is actually um neurodiverse people um have lots of friends that are also neurodiverse because of that characteristic that we like we want to be able to relate to other people and if we see something of them in us, then then we can relate to that well. Um, so I think it's difficult. I, that was the most powerful thing I learned from my training that I had um, to understand more about um, neurodiversity myself was that not that's a, a thing, a glib thing that we all kind of say is we're all a little bit on the spectrum. And that's not true. You're you're right. We lots of people have some of the traits but you have to meet a minimum threshold um, for diagnosis. And actually making that kind of comment does take it away, can take away the power of the strength, you're right, from the neurodiverse person, because you're kind of demeaning the value that that brings. Um, so I think it's difficult because a lot of people don't know, um, no, don't know that they might be neurodiverse if they're undiagnosed. I've certainly got some friends who, from my experience and what I know, I would suggest they are, but they they haven't been diagnosed, and it's quite a difficult thing to bring up with someone. Um, but I think it's it's like you work with anybody. You know, if you recognise someone's strength, it's about um, saying to them and appreciating that strength and and calling it out and saying, do you know what you're really great at that? And how can we how can we use that strength more 
in in whatever it is that they're doing in their role um and yeah and trying to harness that and looking for opportunities where they can use that strength more there's been a number of celebrities recently who have talked very publicly and openly about their various neurodiverse issues now do you think this is helping to reduce the stigma of neurodiversity or is it for want of a better phrase celebrities jumping on a bandwagon no i think it's really important um that people like chris packham lewis capaldi christine mcginnis are, are taking the time to speak out and talk about um neurodiversity in the way that they are because it really i think it really helps break down some of those stigmas and it shows that you can still be phenomenally successful if you're neurodiverse because i think a lot of the time initially when people are diagnosed that they think that it could potentially hold them back and you know don't get me wrong there are some things that are really challenging but actually if you put mechanisms in place and strategies in place to focus on your strengths and to overcome some of those difficulties, you can achieve some amazing things. So I think having a positive role model to relate to is uh, is a really um, a really good thing. And anything that raises awareness um, and gets people talking about things in a more positive way um, can only be a good thing and wearing it as a badge of pride rather than a disorder I mean the autism society I think has done a lot of work used to be called autism spectrum disorder and and now they're getting rid of the word of disorder because it's not a disorder it's a difference um and the more that we talk about it in that manner and in a more positive way then I think that can only be a good thing because it's such a wide range of topic and we've only scratched the surface what would be the key message that you'd like the listeners to take away from your podcast today, Joe? I think it would be is to get more curious about neurodiversity, um, increase your understanding of different conditions and traits and how, therefore, once you know and have a broader understanding of, of, of the traits and therefore what individuals need from you, then you can be more inclusive and enable those who are neurodiverse in your world to thrive because there's a lot of emphasis on the difficulties and the challenges, but actually the way to help people who are neurodiverse um, live with it and succeed is to focus on the strengths, which is what we've been talking about. And often it's just, it's small adaptations that you can make that can make a huge difference um but most of all don't assume that you know what they need the most important thing is to ask them and then if you are the neurodiverse person to be really clear about what it is that you need to be able to succeed joe that has been fascinating genuinely fascinating thank you so much um thank you for joining the old band and the cv podcast today thank you thank you for having me Well, that's all we've got time for this week, Santiago Amigos. My thanks again to Joe Bristow of Connor Consultancy, who has been educating us about all manners of aspects of neurodiversity. Don't forget to check out our sponsor's details in the episode notes. Quick Brown Fox PR. Just time for the credits. 
for the music intro and the idents Abigail Eva Molly One. This is an almost pro production for 23 Magic, copyright 2023. See you next week, Santiago Amigos.